Hello and welcome to Mega City Book Club, the podcast all about the galaxy's greatest comics. I'm Eamon Clark and it's a very warm welcome to the book club from Hibernia Press. It's David McDonald. David, good morning. Good morning and thanks for having me. No, no trouble at all. Thank you for being uh, for coming on the podcast. We, I know we've had to put it off a couple of times, but here we finally are. So before we get to today's book, tell us about your comics origin story, about the comics you first started reading. Um, was it 2000 AD or was it other comics? No, it wouldn't have been 2000 AD. It would have started with, oh, the, the, when I was growing up, the house was full of comics. Um, being all, because I, I obviously, not obviously, but I had brothers and sisters and everyone got a comic, so... I would have started off with the Beano brothers would have had Victor, uh, Wizard and Chips. So, you know, there was a wide range of stuff, but Beano was my comic. I then kind of slipped onto screen and then onto 2008, which was kind of my older brother's comic. When he stopped getting it, I picked up the, the baton, as they say, and um, just went with 2008 and kind of big 2008 fan since. Oh, great. Okay. And do you stick with 2000 AD now? Are you still reading sort of like comics on a weekend? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, Friday night is 2000 AD, cup of tea, sitting down, reading 2000 AD on the couch. Okay. Fantastic stuff. So tell us, um, what's the latest release from Hibernia Press that we're talking about today? The latest release is The Indestructible Man. It's written by Scott Goodall and it's drawn by Jesus Blasco. It originally appeared in Jag comic uh, in the late 60s, which is kind of a, a bit obscure. Not too many people have heard about it. And indeed, to try and get a full run of it is very, very difficult. I'd say I am 20 odd years trying to get a full run and I still haven't managed to to complete a run of it. I'm still missing two issues of it. But thankfully, when we were uh, putting it together, a friend from England, Doug Brain, just had, helped us out with the issues. The comic itself was a tabloid, so each comic strip was generally one page. So the amount of panels in each page, there's quite a lot, I think it's up on 19, 20 panels on each page. So you can imagine in modern comics, that's like two, three pages of, of a normal comic. Um, so it's quite dense. The artwork is by Jesus Blasco, which is just amazing. He is he is one of the best comic artists. He is a master of black and white. The detail he can get into each panel is just, I don't know, I think it's astounding. And then it's written by Scott Goodall, which is he's like a, a stalwart of British comics. He wrote everything from right from the 60s up until probably the 90s. He probably kind of moved out. We wrote for European comics, mostly solid adventures, you know. But this indestructible man, I really think it's. He's a great character. He's nearly, he's as near to a British superhero as you will get. He has an orange origin story. He has a secret base. He doesn't work for a government organization. He has his own um, agenda, as opposed to, you know, like Steel Claw works variously for British governments or, you know, trying to steal from British governments. But this guy lives on his own. He has a sidekick. And um, all he needs, really, is a costume, which he kind of does have when he disappears. So it's the character himself is a brilliant character. And I would have loved if at the time that uh, Rebellion were doing the Vigilant, I think he would have been a great fit for it. 
But I do think at the time he was probably a little bit obscure and unknown. I think John Freeman may have pitched him as well, but that's a different story. But it really is. It's an exciting story. It, you know, the way they could construct a story, 19 panels on a page, start, middle, end. It's like punchy. It's exciting. And uh, yeah, it's a great book. If I say so myself, I'm very pleased with it. Fantastic. So tell us a little bit about the main character. You've mentioned him, Mark Dangerfield. Um, who is he? What are his powers? Well, Mark Dangerfield ended, uh, started off in ancient Egypt. He was uh, in the cavalry and um, the, through nefarious uh, means, he ended up being entombed in, in a pyramid. And through being entombed in the pyramid, he learned the secrets of the ancients. And uh, which allowed him to go into like um, a coma for whatever, 2000 years. And when the um, archaeology team opened up the tomb, he awoke and awoke with these secrets of the agents, ancients and decided he would uh, face down any sorts of evildoers with his newfound powers. The powers are, they're not exactly described. So Depending on the episode, the main one is invisibility for a short while, invulnerability. And he can write with uh, fire on the wall and leave messages. But as the stories go on, he seems to get new powers. And it, it's never clearly defined exactly what his power was. I suppose Scott Goodall, you know, if you define, your, define the character's powers, you're, you're, you're building yourself a black wall. So he left the powers open-ended to suit whatever situation Dangerfield became, you know, found himself in. So, yeah, so Mark Dangerfield uh, is, is a really, really good character. Fantastic. And, of course, there's a variety of adventures all on one page, as you described. Uh, any particular favourite sort of stories or episodes throughout this book that you've collected? Yeah, I think, as I now, I'm looking through it this morning, and as you appreciate, I'm actually working on a different book at the minute. But the, the sequence of adventures, especially in America, with they, they, they're just incredibly well drawn. The the use by Blasco of the black and white. And I'm looking specifically at page 43. That I, It was a page I picked out this morning. Now, it, there's nothing, there's no, you know, splash panel or anything in it. But his use of black and white in that, the birds in the top panel, the, the artwork in it is just amazing. It's just the absolute use of white against the black. It, it just that page just really stands out to me. Now there is other pages with more detail in it or everything, but I think that page just shows Blasco's like mastery of of the artwork and the story is great too. You know the the uh, the Snake Men and all the rest of that. They're great evil characters. There's no ambiguity here. There's no one angsty saying that their you know their parents were bad to them. They're just bad characters, and you get out and they're great. It's a simple, old-fashioned, fun story. So I think that's the when he's in the States, is is my favourite piece in the book. And, of course, you mentioned bad characters, the bad guys. There's some memorable bad guys turn up in The Indestructible Man um, throughout the run. There is, yeah, there is. It's, it's like you can see the influences coming through of James Bond and all the rest of that. You have the, I think, the Badger and the Black Avenger and, you know, these, all these colourful. And, again, and going back to kind of the superhero, you can, you can really see the influence coming through of, you know, the Batman television show, uh, Secret Agent, The Saint, you know, there's these villains with layers and you have to wonder 
if, if you really do go into it, like, like how, do, how do they get that infrastructure there? But it's the sort of story, you leave all that at the door and you just go along for the ride with these, you know, just generally bad characters with great infrastructure. It's, <laughs> they're great fun. And, you know, you've mentioned uh, the Batman TV series, of course, the Avengers on television, I think. At times, he looks a little bit like Patrick McGowan's character from The Prisoner. It, sort of, it does take a few influences from popular culture of the time, doesn't it? It does, yeah. And as well, Blasco had actually drawn an adaptation. Well, an adaptation might be the wrong word, but The Secret Agent appeared in, I'm pretty sure, Lime for about... I think it was about 13 or 14 weeks, and it was drawn by Blasco using McGoohan's likeness. So that's probably, he just continued on the, you know, handy character reference to have here, you know? Yeah. And you mentioned Jag comic, which, you know, is one of those comics that we don't know very much about. We don't hear much about, as you say, incredibly difficult to collect it. Um, This was a comic from, obviously, from Fleetway in the late 60s, wasn't it? Yes, yeah. And the, yeah, it was. Yeah, sorry. And the editors involved. Who were the people involved? Well, it was Leonard Matthew, who was, I think, described once as the Napoleon of comics. It was probably his last hurrah as the managing editor of Fleetwood in the 60s. So he would have launched comics like Look and Learn, and they were very much high quality sort of publications, you know, plenty of colour, plenty of educational material. He launched Ranger as well. So you can see kind of his influence on that. So like Jag has a centre page, four uh, colour centre page pullout that's full of educational bent. You know, beautiful illustration by the like of John Lawrence and a full page colour strip by uh, Jeff Campion is in it as well. But the editor was Tony Power, who went on to be the editor of Men Only, which there was a film about his life and all the rest of that. So it, it has kind of like an awful lot of interest behind it. it you know what? It would be, be great to actually be able to speak to these people, but I'd ask. They're all, they're all gone at this stage. But it was, I think it was an attempt at something new, at something different. It was an attempt at, Ranger had been an attempt at a hybrid between a regular comic and Look and Learn. And I think this was another effort at something like that, but maybe geared towards a slightly younger audience. Uh, some of the other stories in it, while the, the indestructible man is clearly aimed at, you know, you know, the kind of twelve to fourteen year old, the, there is other material in it like Mouse Patrol, um, that is definitely geared at a younger audience, definitely geared towards the age. So, I'd say it was trying to be a catch-all sort of a comic with an educational bench. So, maybe that it was aimed at a parent by, beside their, you know, their. Uh, the Daily Mirror, whatever, that this tabloid newspaper would sit nicely in between the, the paper on the way home from the news agents or something like that. And it had that educational thing in the middle of it, you know, with the, yeah, there's great features on sports people and cars and all the rest of that. And so, yeah, it, it, was a, it was a good comic, but I think it had probably spread itself too thin and more than likely the format didn't fit. Where would it sit on the newsagent shelves besides, you know, uh, Tiger and Valiant, which sit nicely on their, the newsagent shelves? But where do you put a folded up comic? Do you leave it with the newspapers? Do you leave it in, you know, it, probably that's it. The biggest thing against it was probably its format. Okay, that interesting larger tabloid format that you talked about, as you say, a folded comic. Um, and it goes 1968 to 1969 and gets folded into Barry Tomlinson's Tiger, I think, at the end. Yeah. Yeah, it does. Um, I think about six or seven weeks before it ended, 
uh, it changed format to a regular size comics. And you can actually see in the last few episodes where they had to break up the what would have been probably commissioned as a one-page story. They had to break it up into two pages. So you can see that the panels get much larger towards the end and you only have you know five or six panels on each page. So the pages had, themselves had to be reformatted for them last six weeks. And I would imagine it was just to get the formats right for the merger. So when the the cancel or when JAG was about to be cancelled, they took the decision, let's change format, make it a regular comic, and then fold it into um fold it into Tiger. Now, interestingly, at the time, Tiger had uh, poor newsprint print like uh, Valiant and um, Line, but Jag had um, very very nice print, and it brought that over into Tiger. And Tiger got that. Tiger got the let the, the whatever printer uh, Jag was been printed on. Tiger got it and kept it right up until I think 1983. Tiger had fabulous printing, you know, and the the covers with the the old Death Wish covers and Billy's boots, John Gilliatt doing the fabulous paintings on it. That's, that was as the legacy that Jag gave Tiger. Oh, right. Uh, the better paper and everything, the best printing. And, of course, Jag does that thing that British comics did, which was the title itself would survive in some annuals for three years afterwards, uh, 71, 72, 73. And those, those stories are in the back of your collection here, aren't they? Yes, yeah. Uh, so let's just mention the creators quickly. Scott Goodall, you've talked about, um, he wrote uh, The Steel Claw. He wrote other comics like Thunderbirds, Kid Chameleon. Passed away in 2016, sadly. And I gather he had an MBE, but it wasn't for his comics work. It was something to do with a war pilgrimage that he set up. Is that right? Yeah, I, from now from memory, it's in France that it was an escape route I'm not going to say exactly what it was, but it was across the mountain pass. I think it was the Pyrenees. Yeah. He created a pilgrimage to remember the escape route. And as far as I know, he wrote a book on it as well. And he got an MBE for that. He was apparently uh, an expert on things World War II. And he lived in France, as far as I know, um, for a long time. With I think he lived, uh, he, he was a regular meetup with Angus Allen, who basically single-handedly wrote looking for years so yeah so that was you've got a little blurb about them all in the back of the book the shaman de la liberty was the pilgrimage along an old world war ii escape route that he created right. yeah so yeah he was an interesting character um there's a, there's a few interviews knocking around with them i reprinted one i think in the fleetway files but there's another one um he, he's one of these old-fashioned writers that was just able to knock out great stories. I actually heard, uh, I was talking to Kevin O'Neill lately, and he mentioned that uh, he remembered uh, Scott Goodall coming into the office, and he was carrying his typewriter with him, and he'd find a desk and sit down and type away at his, uh, at his desk. And he said he was an absolute gentleman. Fantastic. And as you say, yes, in the Fleetway Files, you've got an interview uh, done by, I think, Mick Bowen, uh, Matt Bowen, sorry, did an interview at Scott Goodall, which you printed in there. Okay, what about Jesus Blasco and this wonderful black and white art? Another, you know, fascinating Spanish uh, artist in these uh, British comics. And he produces just wonderful stuff, doesn't he? Oh, he does. And it, it's so consistent. There's no, there's no drop in quality. There's no rush pages. 
this is just everything is perfect. His cars are perfect. His horses are perfect. His, you know, his women, his men, they, anything he's asked to draw, it's it's just perfect. It's got atmosphere, and um, and it's not stiff. There's movement movement to his art as well. You know that that he's not. You, you know, sometimes you can see artists that are fantastic with line work, but that there's no movement to his art. But there is in Blasco's. Um, you know, he he can turn his hand to anything. He he drew for years. Even looking la- last night, I was um, I was fortunate enough to get a complete set, a near enough complete set of comic cuts, and there's uh, details in it about his work in, in the fifties in Comet. So he worked for years. Uh, so there's most people will know his steel claw work, and beyond that, you know, uh, he did some I think invasion. He did some dredger. And beyond that, people were probably going like, even myself, wouldn't know a whole pile of what he'd done. But like the secret agent work he did with the Patrick McGowan likeness is amazing. It really is. It's reprinted in uh, some oddball annual in the 70s, the complete one. Um, but that is something that I'd love to see the light of day again. But I don't know about license and all the rest of that. That could be uh, that could be a minefield in itself as to who owns the, uh, the rights to it. But uh, he seems to have kind of disappeared from British comics. But then again, like all these European agency and South American, they worked everywhere. So they worked for American market, they worked for French, for Swedish, for, you know, they worked everywhere. So to try and have an idea of the complete amount of work that these guys did, it, it's kind of astonishing the amount of the page rate that they, they not, I don't mean the page rate has money, but the actual amount of artwork they produced yes. was incredible. You know, it really was. And when you see the quality of that artwork, it really is uh, amazing. Um, I'm very, the, the other thing that's worth mentioning about this, that obviously when we, um, myself and Richard Pierce, Richard Pierce is uh, the other the other half of Hibernia who handles all the reproduction, uh, all the design on Hibernia's comics. Uh, we were discussing about shrinking the um the obviously tabloid down to A4, if which is in the indestructible man. It, we did worry about it. We thought, you know, how is this going to work? But for the format of the book itself, because the later stories were all comic, regular comic size, the annual stories were regular comic size. We obviously couldn't produce a book uh, tabloid size because uh, everything we do is posted out in the post to cast an arm and leg to post any of this stuff to the UK. So, we trialed it and we shrunk it, and it was the quality of Blasco's artwork and his line work that when the art shrunk down, there was no loss in quality. So we were really pleased with that. That was one of the big concerns we had about actually shrinking the artwork down. But it really has, it's shown through, and it, it, it just shows the quality of his artwork that it can take being reduced and still hold on to it. Fantastic stuff. It, it does look glorious, and we know we love a black and white comic. You mentioned his other work on particularly the Steel Claw, which, of course, is now being reprinted by the Treasury. Uh, and of course, hmm. he also started Invasion with Pat Mills for 2000 AD as well. Um, so, yeah. yeah, absolutely terrific artist. And it's a wonderful collection of his work here. So, David, it, it brings us to the question of Hibernia. And how did you actually come up with the idea of doing this, of publishing these old comics and these books about them? Well, I've been collecting comics for years, um, especially British comics and especially IPC comics, IPC Fleetway, 
they're the stuff I like. So I've been collecting for years. You can probably see behind me there, there's, there's loads of stuff. When Titan were doing the collections they did, whatever it is, 16, 17 years ago, uh, the Steel Claw and the Spider, they put out feelers, and I think it was through John Freeman, looking for people with the materials. So they've got the license from IPC Media, I think it was at the time, to do the collections, but they didn't, they didn't physically have the material to do it. So they put feelers out. So I had the collection of Lime, and I lent it to them. They shipped it over to the UK, and they scanned all of the um, spider from my collection. So when I got it back, I was kind of just, you know, one of these ideas that kind of hits you and you say, I can do this. I have the material myself. So uh, first I put the feelers out to DC Thompson about Starblazer. And they were initially interested and it kind of just fizzled out. There was a few questions and answers neither of us could answer because I didn't have the experience you know, to come up with the answers that they wanted. So eventually I got in touch with the Dandere Corporation about Doomlord. And we did, through them, we came to an agreement and I did the Doomlord collection, which collects the first drawn story post the photo stories. And uh, I designed it myself now and I did the reproduction myself. Now, the reproduction is fantastic, honestly. If I say it to myself, the design, not so much. It was real copy and paste from Word and, you know, uh, Comic Sans on the cover and all the rest of that. It, it was. But if I say it to myself, I did manage to get an Alan Grant introduction to it, which I was very pleased with. And Doomlord was an absolute and utter disaster. Sales-wise, I printed... Sales were great. Let me add, sales were great. But I printed far too many. I didn't know what I was doing, but it was a fantastic learning curve. It meant I could come up with a business plan, if that's if that's the way you want to put it, to republish these old comics that I could actually do it, that it wouldn't cost me money as a hobby, if that, if that makes sense. And a few tweaks over the years, it has led on to, I think I've published 16, 17 titles at this stage. Now, we're very slow. Uh, we've been described as a hobby publisher. Uh, and I think that's that's a fair fit, you know. Um, and all flooded stuff we, we do probably wouldn't get huge sales if they're out in chat, but there's enough interest and there's enough quality in the material we do that I think it's worthwhile. And especially when you go back, especially to the middle noughties, early, you know, 2010, 2011, there was no interest in British comics other than 2018. Now, that has changed, thankfully, with with Rebellion and all the rest of that. Titan just dipped their feet in and out a little bit. But other than that, there was there was no one looking at Valiant. There was no one looking at Lime. There was no one looking at the Eagle uh, as a source for material. And I, I'd like to think we championed that a little bit. Certainly, uh, we're, myself and Richard are all very, very pleased with all the titles we've done. And kind of indicated sometimes in the titles too with the 13th floor uh, going on to get huge uh, hardback collections from uh, Rebellion. They're, they're just glorious. Yeah, so so that is, Hibernia is here uh, because of, I suppose, my own interest in comics and the lack of interest in it at that time in the, in the, in the middle noughties. There was, there was very little interest in it. And uh, we're very pleased with the Fleetway Files, I'll have to say. It was it, it, it was an idea that kind of, I think, John Freeman threw out one night uh, about doing a partwork, like uh, the 2000 AD partworks from Hatchet. 
and I'm, we obviously wouldn't be set up to do something like that, but the idea of doing a uniform uh, cover, uniform dress, numbered spines, you know, that you can display nicely, uh, it really appealed to me. And I thought, you know what, that uh, something that might appeal to someone, one, if one collection, you might hook them in with the second collection if there is, you know, the uniform trade that you can collect it. So what we're hoping is that people who picked up the Angry Plant may not have picked up the Indestructible Man, but did so because of it's part of a set or part of a collection, and then have picked up something that they really enjoy. So that's the idea behind it, that you can build up a library of, and if I say to myself, I think, or at least I hope we have good taste, um, that what, what we are picking is quality and will be enjoyed. So the first volume, as you say, was The Angry Planet by Alan Hebden mm. and Massimo Bernardinelli, and that came out in 2020. Yes. And as you say, you've got the same sort of format, trade dress, and it's as you numbered number one on the spine. And then this is volume two in the set, The Indestructible yeah. Man. And presumably you've got plans for more, have you, in a similar format? Yeah, we have, um, in the immediate future, we have another four uh, coming. Now, what we would like to do is have another one out before Christmas, late autumn, and it will be a collection of Brian Lewis's um, Captain Condor from, um, excuse me, from Lyme. Now, Brian Lewis is one of these artists that I think is a little bit of, the, of an artist artist. Um he died in the late 70s. He just started to do a little bit of work for 2000 AD, but he had done an awful lot of uh, science fiction book illustrations. And he had done quite a lot of work for a lion and tiger in the 60s. Uh, he also worked for Dead Skin's House of Hammer. I think probably people will probably, he'd be best known for his cover to the Death Planet on 2000 AD. Uh, it's just such an iconic and striking cover. Um, I think it's really good to get his art back out there. So it will be in around a 100-page collection of Captain Condor from, I think it's about 63, thereabouts. And it's a cracking story as well. Uh, it's written by Frank Pepper. It's, it's, to be honest, it's really in the damn dare sort of mode, that sort of daring-do adventure out there, but with a little bit of maybe more hard sci-fi creeping in rather than just, you know, meeting strange aliens. There's... It's a good, solid story. Fantastic art. Fantastic. After that, we have, sorry, Sergeant Strong from uh, Valiant, which is drawn by Eric Bradbury. I'm pretty sure drawn, um, written by Tom Tully, but I have to confirm that. We've Slave of the Screamer by Blasco again from Valiant. Now, that's going to be backed because it's quite short. It's only in around 60 pages. It's going to be backed up by a Val Venture. He's a, an adventurer from Tiger, also drawn by Blasco. So it's going to be about a 90-page collection completely drawn by Blasco. Interestingly, David uh, Roach told me he is the complete slave of the screamer, original art, every page of it, which is quite astonishing to have uh, a complete collection like that. And the other one which I'm really pleased to be doing is Time Quick from Starlord which will be in colour. I've been asked that a few times. Yes, the colour will be in it. And so I'm really pleased to be doing Time Quake because I loved it. When I read me up my older brother's stuff, like uh, Blocker, you know, Steam Tramp, uh, a skipper ends up as a, you know, a time-travelling detective and adventurer. You, you know, you couldn't write it. <laughs> <But> you <did. laughs> 
It's great stuff. So lots to come then from Hibernia. And you've mentioned uh, Richard Pierce, who does the Reaper graphics with you. Is there anybody else in the team? Yeah, uh, Mike Donaghy is the other uh, member. He usually edits the comic archives. The comic archive is kind of separate to the collections. It's, uh, it's interviews, articles, anecdotes, overviews of maybe the lesser known side of uh, British comics. And Mike Donaghy edits all of my articles for that. And I'd have to give uh, Mike Carroll a bit of a shout out as well. Mike Carroll, the uh, Irish writer who does uh, Just Red, he has helped out quite a bit with designs for titles and logos and stuff like that. But it's myself and Richard Pierce are the, the main team, and Mike Donaghy then uh, rolls in with the editing when needed. And you'd also mentioned, of course, that thanks to Doug Brain, you were able to get scans of a complete run of JAG to do this book. Because. Uh, um, I suppose unusual for there to be any original art still around. David Roach has got some, I gather. There is, yeah. The, the odd page of of the indestructible man around, but really, you know, trying to gather that up, uh, it, it, it's pretty impossible. And as I say, the indestructible man was on such good print, uh, scanning it was no issue, and it gave great results. But yeah, no, actually going back to Doug Brent, it's just another. It's a nice thing just to mention that. You know, most of the community that's out there about British comics, they're all really sound. Uh, you know, if anyone can give you a hand, they will. You know, everyone's up for, you know, I need this, no problem, I get it to you. People, people you know, are gen- generally very sound about that. So um, just going back, I do have one new release coming out. It's not part of the Fleetway Files, and I should hopefully have it out mid-August. I don't know, you're familiar with the Cosmic Comics I did the Kevin O'Neill collection. Yes, yeah. Um, a couple of years back, well, we were approached by uh, Gosh Comics in London, mm, maybe three months ago. They're doing a, a series of events to celebrate Kevin O'Neill's 40th anniversary of Nemesis: The Warlock. So they're doing prints and all the rest of that. And they asked us, would we be interested in doing another edition of Cosmic Comics uh, for that event for for Gosh? So we said, sounds so. Um, they've come on board with Kevin O'Neill to expand it. So it's going to be expanded by, I think, about 26 pages. So that we're going to have, in the middle of it, a pull-out section, you know, like Wizard and Chips. Oh, right. Out, you know, it, it, that kind of thing. And uh, it's full of um, drawings, pages, tryouts of Kevin O'Neill from Kevin O'Neill's personal archive. So... Interplanetary News was a fanzine he did a lot of work for, so loads of covers from that. And he has actually mocked us up a front cover for the pull-out section. And I don't know, can you see that? Oh, I can see that, yes. Wow. <laughs> okay. Uh, our so, listeners won't be able to see that, but it'll be out not long after this podcast, hopefully. Yeah, yeah. So I'm hopeful that when this podcast is out, that full news of Kevin Kev's own, as, as he called it himself, will be out there. So that's that's something that was really exciting to work with, you know, such an iconic artist and a golden age 2000 artist to work so closely with them and gosh as well uh, in creating this this new ver- new second edition of Cosmic Comics. So we're really pleased with that. I'm really excited to have had the opportunity to work with Kevin and gosh on it. Um, yeah, looking forward to that coming out. 
Fantastic. Now, you, you mentioned you'd learned your lesson from the first uh, publication of Doom Lord, which actually we've done on the podcast uh, with Philip Vaughan, Doom Lord and the Death Lords of Knox. Um, because now, of course, your releases, uh, are then limited print runs, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. Any to anywhere between three to 500 copies, that's all that's printed. Right. Um, we re- rarely go back to print. Some of the, I think, the Tower King, and the House of Damon we print, But what I like to do is I, I know there's a limited market that I can sell to through um now you could go down the route of selling to comic shops and all the rest of that. And I tried that with the first 13th floor. But just logistically and time-wise, I could not commit to that because I work obviously work full time and all the rest of that. So what we've I've found is that there is there's a limited pool of people out there happy to buy over the post and are want to get this so this it's kind of a, a format that works they're happy to get a limited copy so all the the print runs are generally between three and five hundred copies all sold through the post none in chat right and i think i have got the tower king here on my desk and the house of demon from where you reprinted them so that, that's great mm-hmm. stuff as well and i'll just mention because you've got as you say you do also do the books which are sort of about the history of British comics. And so there's mm. a, a separate, the one I've got in front of me is the Fleetway Files. And that yes. was also included a sampler for the Treasury of British Comics themselves. Yes. So you've got a working relationship with the Treasury as well, thank goodness. Yes, yeah. Keith Richardson and Ben Smith would be the, the, the guys I would deal with most in them, and they're, they're great. Uh, I think it, just from a personal point of view, uh, the fact that they bought the archive and you have people there that are passionate about getting this material out. You know, if you'd said to me six or seven years ago, you're going to have collections of, you know, Dr. Mesmer or Adam Eternal, I just said, that's just not going to happen. You know, but these, the, Rebellion are brilliant. They, they bought it. They didn't buy it to sit on it. They are publishing stuff. They're publishing new material with it. It's just great. It's great to be a fan of British comics and have people involved in it that are passionate about it and want to get this material out there. And they understand it as well. I think they're coming from point from a place that they understand the material. They understand its limitations and they understand how good it is. So they know best how to sell it. Fantastic. And it, it, you know, it is just great to see all this stuff being reprinted so that we can get hold of it. Because as you say, some of these comics are very difficult to get hold of now, particularly Jag comic, it seems. Yeah, they are. And, you know, it, it's, it's hard to put a run together of some of these comics because, you know, variously the, the newsprint was such bad paper that they fell apart, especially if they got, you know, vigorous reading and um, they just fell apart. So to to assemble a complete run of anything can be quite difficult. You know, you might get a full year of 1972 of value, but where's 1971? Where's 1973? You're going to buy, like I've had to buy huge amounts of collections over the year to actually finish collections. So the amount of actual comics you have to buy to finish a collection is huge. So, yeah, so um, I've helped them out a few times with, uh, the first job I did for them was the one I jacked. Yeah, I helped them with the scanning of that. So I've helped them over the years with, you know, bits of material they may not have that I'd have. So I'd give them a dig out with that. But, um, yeah, it's really good to see this material just getting out there again. 
Fantastic. So let's turn you back to the indestructible man. It is, as we record, still available for ten forty nine plus postage. Yeah, it's available on the Comicsy website. So it's Comicsy forward slash Hibernia, um, and that's the only place that's available. It's not available to buy in shops. It's not available to buy anywhere else. Just on Comicsy. It's it's a nice, simple web shop for kind of small press um, and check out all the other stuff on it as well. some great other comics and creators on it too that are always worth a look so check out the show notes for this episode it will have the link to your uh, Hibernia shop on Comic C where you can get uh, the Indestructible Man you can also at the moment still get the Doom Lord collection and as another one of your um, collections of sort of comic history and articles Fantastic Adventures is still up there as well I think David Yes, I have a hand, just a handful of them left on it. Yeah, I really enjoyed putting Fantastic Adventures together. Um, since reading Warrior years ago, uh, one of my favourite things in Warrior was the articles about about how they would put, like, remember the Jim Baker you on about Twilight yeah. World? Um, just, I absolutely loved them articles. And putting together these uh, comic archives, I think it takes a lot from that. And as well, I'd have to give a shout out to Eagle Flies Again fanzine, which was out in the naughty brilliant fancy so i love the idea of uh, exploring the mechanics of comics how you put them together what material might be used and i love the idea of stuff that wasn't published stuff that influenced other comics um so yeah so an awful lot of fantastic adventures is about material that wasn't published that never made it and i really like that idea of what influence it had or what influence it could have had if these materials were, were published so yeah so that's uh, that's uh, that's kind of the bulk of fantastic adventures great stuff snap them up while you can because when they're gone they're gone i guess mm. yeah pretty much now i do uh, i would say the, the comic archives are hugely time consuming so it's just myself and richard doing all this so that's why we're so slow we try and get two publications a year and try and for one of them to be a comic archive every two years. So that's it, it just takes a huge amount of time to gather the material, to verify information, to design it to, and as always, I think, much to Richard's exasperation. Just before we're about to hit print, I will get a new page of artwork that we have to reshuffle the whole lot to fit it in and all the rest of that. So... I would say there's probably one more comic archive. And after that, I'd say I'd be kind of retiring it. But after that, what I'd like to do is a collection of the best of maybe the interviews or a collection of the best of the articles or something like that to to put them all together. Uh, Yeah, so they're really satisfying to put together, but they are, as I say, very, very time-consuming. It is a bit, from what you describe, sounds like a passion project for you and Richard David. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) yeah. It's a, if we're in it for the money, we wouldn't be doing it. It's just fun. It's a hobby. Some people play football. Some people run. I spend an hour at this every day, you know, uh, and this is what I love and this is what I enjoy doing. And uh, as I say, it keeps me out of trouble. And if I turn you back to the book, I'm, we do play this grail page game and we assume or we imagine that all the original art might still exist. What pages would you choose from uh, Jesus Blasco to hang on your wall? Oh, I think, again, going back to that section, the the, uh, the American section where he is in the swamp. And I think page 43, I think page 43 is cracking. And also 
I think, page 38. Uh, I just think that they're amazingly constructed pages. As I said before, his use of just the negative space of black on white, it, they're, they're just amazingly constructed pages. So I'd say if I had to go for a page, if I had to be stuck to it, I'd say 43. Fantastic. Brilliant. Brilliant. Well, I will post the images of pages 38 and 43 when this podcast comes out. They become your grail pages in the virtual art gallery of the book club. As you say, difficult to know. Does the odd page of the indestructible man might still exist, we think? Yes, I've seen a few crop up online here and there that people will post that they have. I think I've seen about three. But as to where the rest of them are, God knows. Yeah. Um, like that with, with all the original art you, you wonder how some survive and others didn't like in particular the stuff from the 80s an awful lot of Eric Bradbury's art Eric Bradbury did a huge amount of artwork um, hugely prolific and yet you rarely see any of his artwork coming up Mike Western same Mike Western is hugely prolific and you rarely see any of his artwork coming up. And yet you see other art, you know, uh, there's loads of uh, mass mobile art and any artwork out there, any amount of it. So you have to wonder where where did the artwork go to? I know the stories of it getting destroyed and all the rest of that. Um, but you'd wonder why was it certain artists' art did get destroyed? Was it just one shelf was burnt and the other shelf wasn't? You, you have to wonder about that. But actually, um, there's one piece here. I'm very, I, I love my Western art. It's probably one of my favourite artworks. And I have that piece. Oh, right. It's an original of Ghastly McNasty. Ghastly McNasty. Yeah, it's it's one of my favourite pieces. I love uh, little bits like that, little odd bits um, that other people might look at, but uh, I really like them anyway. But that's kind of where I'm coming from, I should say. I like the design. I like the, the unknown aspects of it, you know, and finding out about them. Fantastic stuff. Now, this is the section of the podcast where we normally do guest projects. Uh, we've talked about it already, I think. You've got a lot on the plate coming up. Uh, lots of releases to come in the Fleetway Files. Yeah. Uh, hopefully, as I say, get that um, Brian Lewis's Captain Condor out later this year. We should have Cosmic Comics, Kevin O'Neill's Cosmic Comics out in August. I'm also working on an Action Force history which was a Kickstarter um, that I was involved with. So I'm writing that at the minute. I think that's due to be posted sometime in the autumn as well. And I'm also working on something with uh, the Treasury of British Comics. Uh, I don't think it's been announced yet, so I'd better not say anything more about it. But uh, it's just a little project. It's not. It's nothing big, but I'm something I'm quite excited about. And uh, yeah, so very busy with comic stuff. Great. Lots to look forward to. Uh, Hibernia Comics are on Facebook, so we can find you on Facebook if we search for Hibernia Comics. Uh, you have a blog as well. I don't know, is the blog still going? No, don't don't really update the blog at all. But um, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram as well. Um, that's, that's the most way I get out there on social media. Uh, the blog, no, I haven't updated the blog in a long time. Okay, well, I'll include links to the Facebook and the Twitter and the Instagram in the show notes for this episode. Anything else that you're working on that you can tell us about at the moment, David, or have we covered most of it? I think we've, co- I think we've covered most of us at this stage, but uh, I, I would like just... I, the, the main part of picking a series to do collections of is actually reading, going through old comics and reading them. And let's say, you know, there was some material when 
we agreed the next four books with Rebellion. Some stories that I thought, oh, I'd really like to do that. But when you go back and read it, you know, it doesn't stand up that the character might be brilliant, but the story isn't good or the art, you know. So sometimes you might have misconceptions of your own memory of saying, I read this, it's brilliant. You go back and you go, you know what? I'm not going to ask anyone else to read this. (laughs) (laughs) You know, so that's half the fun of it. So um, I will say when, when winter comes in, that will be the next project on, is to connect, to pick the next wave of releases for the Fleetwood Files. So, yeah. You're incredibly busy, David. And thank you for giving up your time to talk about uh, Hibernia Comics this morning. <laughs> yeah, no problem. Um, i just just like to add as well, just that, just thanks for everyone for all the support. Um, as I say, we... Hibernia wouldn't be here but for the dedicated people that buy you know you see the same addresses going out all the time the same names coming out and you know people on social media you know they they give us hands it's it's uh word of mouth that we sell our our stuff on you know we don't have a big pr machine behind us uh so it really is just word of mouth and people's goodwill that we sell so i just want to say thanks to everyone for the support and uh i think myself and richard appreciate it yeah so thank, thanks to everyone out there for supporting Hibernia and uh, please continue please do please check out the uh, the links in the show notes for this episode and on the website at megacitybookclub.com great stuff thank you to everyone for listening to Megacity Book Club um, you can follow us on Twitter Facebook Instagram Spotify and the 2080 forums uh, or email the podcast mcbcpodcast at gmail.com uh, if you want more details of either the podcast or of all of David's projects and where to find them on Comixy and so on so that'll do us, David. Until next time, when we're passing judgment on another great book, uh, goodbye from me and... Goodbye from David. Goodbye.